From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A quick programming note, coming up next week, Gary Heseltine and Don Schmidt from the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. This is a brand new organization comprised of scientists, academics, and leading UFO researchers from around the world, 27 countries on five continents. Gary Heseltine is the uh, the vice president. He'll be uh, in or on in hour one. Again, this is next week. And Don Schmidt, of course... One of the world's foremost Roswell investigators, Don, is the American Continental Director. So that's next week on The Conspiracy Show. Joshua P. Warren stays with us, groundbreaking paranormal researcher, author, spent uh, 25 years as a professional paranormal investigator, winner of the University of North Carolina, Carolina Thomas Wolfe Award for Fiction, the author of over 20 books, including How to Hunt Ghosts, The uh, Secret Wisdom of uh, Khan and uh, the use or and use the force a Jedi's guide to the law of attraction which is basically what we've been talking about uh, we mentioned sigils a little bit earlier oh I wanted to ask you w- with regards to sigils do they go stale I mean the one that the mighty Aphrodite carries around in her wallet it's been there for three or four years do they lose some of that power of intention in them from time to time well you know theoretically they should not but I find that any time you have a symbol like that that you believe is working well for you, you may as well refresh it once in a while. I just print it out again. It's almost like recharging the batteries and something. It doesn't hurt to do that. At very least, doing that will mentally uh, make an impact on you and maybe re-energize your, your amount of attention that you're paying to it. As they say, energy flows where attention goes. Um, So, yeah, there's no harm in in doing so. But um, theoretically speaking, um, the design is what it is, and it should always operate the same way. All right. Let me go to the YouTube live chat for some questions. Show Me The Truth 74 asks, are there any updates to the Vegas interstate time anomaly? Well, you mentioned that off the top, but did you want to just repeat that? The, this is the Vegas interstate time anomaly. Yeah, thank you for that question. It's funny to me that when I discovered that back in 2018, there was a lot <laughs> happening behind the scenes that I didn't know about, and now we all do. For example, the night that I discovered that, was the first time I turned on the TV and the Space Force was announced. And then, of course, all the ATIP stuff was really starting to come out. And and Harry Reid, who was the senator from Nevada, he was coming out in front of the cameras because he he was the Senate Majority Leader back when ATIP was formed. And so this whole place was like there was a center of activity happening around there. And when I got that anomaly... I know they were doing some kind of experiments in the area as well. Uh, they've been very secretive about them, but there was some kind of bomb being tested. And so I thought to myself, okay, I want to know, is this, is this something that's natural? You know, did I stumble upon a natural time warp, or is this something that was, it, it was created here because of government activity? 
And I have been back to that spot numerous times and taken measurements, and I have not been able to measure the anomaly again. Uh, however, I think I may have just gotten extremely lucky that first time around because even if there was some government experimentation, that would not necessarily explain all of the other sort of extraterrestrial and spooky spiritual things that people encounter there. But the latest thing is that, um, as, as I mentioned earlier today, uh, earlier on the program, there was uh, a gentleman from, from Colorado named, named Jason who came here with night vision and went out there by himself and got some type of a, a big spooky light floating around. I'm going to be posting that soon. Uh, he's got it on his Instagram account, but I need to capture that and post it on my social media. By the way, at Joshua P. Warren is a good way to keep up with breaking news. And then also... That same night that he was out there, he had a compass with him, and his father was with him, and his father had a compass, and they're standing at the same places, or well, they're standing next to each other at the same place, and yet their compasses are pointing in different directions, and uh, it, they weren't interfering with each other, and so like. This kind of stuff continues to happen. People contact me and tell me about missing time that they have. I had a couple that contacted me a few months ago, and they knew nothing about this story. And they were driving from here to, I think, Washington State, and they ended up losing at least two hours of time. And it was such a big deal for them. I mean, they were in the car with their kids that they just got on the Internet later and started researching weird stuff about that area and they came across my news report and said holy cow listen to this and contacted me and i interviewed them on my podcast strange things so so people continue having these experiences and weird stuff keeps happening there but i have not been able to document that same anomaly again uh i presume one day i'll be lucky again but you never know all right. D. Silver asks, Joshua, do you think that paranormal activity is higher during this pandemic? Many are receiving odd dreams, negative energy. What can we do to protect ourselves? Indeed, there has been a lot more paranormal perception during this period of time. Uh, for one thing, you just have to look at the simple reality that when people are confined to one piece of property, they, they get to know it on a much more intimate level than ever before. And so, you know, I've heard these complaints from people who said, I lived in a haunted house and I could kind of, you know, live with that for a few hours in, in every day, but not stuck here 24-7. This is, this is becoming a, a bit much. And so, so people are, are definitely getting the observation time in uh, at these haunted properties. But furthermore, yes, uh, when you have something that creates this sort of level of sensory deprivation, it changes the way the mind works in general. That's why there has been such a, a brainwashing campaign going on for a long time in order to just frighten people, just fear, 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 fear. And when you start really scaring people, and like fortunately for me, I look at a lot of this fear-mongering that goes on in the mainstream media, and it doesn't bother me that much because I just don't believe it. I know too much about how the media works, and you do too, Richard. You, yeah. We look at it, and we can tell what they're doing. Okay? <laughs> and so, But there are people out there who are scared to death, and when people get into that mindset, they become desperate. 
And if they feel like that their, their normal way of doing things is not going to help them or save their lives, they get open-minded really quickly and start learning about other ways of viewing the world, and they start reaching out for alternative viewpoints. And so all of that stuff, I think, kind of combines in order to, uh, to create a more paranormal life for, for the average person, especially now that you can talk about aliens and UFOs, and most people take you seriously now because of what's been you know, happening with our, our government releases. But also, I mean, this stuff that we've been talking about forever, this all this weird stuff, I mean, it turns out it's real. And we, we are just now getting the technology to document some of it properly. But uh, eventually the stuff that used to be paranormal is just going to be normal, and we're seeing that happen more and more every day. Wow, that's one of the most cogent, concise, and best explanations I've ever heard because I've had this question before about you know more paranormal activity during the pandemic, brilliantly stated. YY Anella asks, can we get an update on Robert the Haunted Doll? Now, Robert had a sigil somewhere and encoded or embedded, I guess, on the doll somewhere, didn't he? Yes, I am happy to say I apparently discovered that. This was over 10 years ago when I went to conduct an extensive investigation of Robert the Doll. For people who don't know, Robert is, I think, the world's most haunted doll. Uh, he's over 100 years old. He lives, so to speak, in a museum in Key West, Florida. And uh, the stories about him go on and on. It said that he comes to life at night and does all manner of things. In fact, uh, on my website, joshuapwarren.com, you can find an ebook I wrote about him. Uh, I have a curiosity shop there, and there's a book called Don't Play With Robert, The World's Most Haunted Doll. And I'll tell you quite frankly that when it came out, I almost got into some legal trouble because there were people that did not want me to publish that book. But nonetheless, I was able to go down there to Key West and have pretty much the city government officials agree to remove this big glass case from Robert for the first time in, I think they said, at least four years. They had two, two big dudes with suction cups. They took this thing off of him and allowed me to, with my bag of instruments, do a close inspection of him. And UV light does not pass very well through glass, especially thick glass like they had around him. So the, one of the first things I thought was, I'm going to shine a UV light on this doll and see if anything appears. And sure enough, only visible under UV was this little symbol that was on his right sleeve that looks very much like an ancient sigil that I was able to later locate in a grimoire that reminds me of uh, the sigil to animate the dead or reanimate Ooh, the dead. wow. Yeah. And so... Uh, I think I was the first person who ever shined a light on him because if anybody else had wanted to do it, they wouldn't have been able to get it to work through that glass. But other than that, you know, here's one of the big, I think, developments with Robert the Doll. At that time, nobody was even sure exactly how he was made. Uh, and, I mean, the story was always that there was this disgruntled servant who worked for this very prominent family, and they had a little boy – named Robert Eugene Otto, and so kind of to get back at the family, she made a giant voodoo doll, for lack of a better term, of this kid, and, uh, and they, called the, they, the, they called the doll Robert, 
and the kid became obsessed with it. Well, it turns out uh, there is this great writer and researcher in Key West named David Sloan, and he discovered that Robert, the actual doll, was in fact a, a rare German Steiff doll. And I say rare because he was much, much bigger than the average Steiff doll. So they think he was like some kind of a store display model. And the family had connections to to Germany. And so his theory was that the mother of the family traveled to Germany and and somehow obtained this doll. But here's, here's something that makes people skin crawl a little bit. Robert the doll is dressed in a little sailor outfit. Well, that outfit was never on that doll. They found an advertisement for that doll, and that doll was dressed as a clown. And so a lot of people don't like clowns, and they don't like haunted dolls. So you can combine those things together. (laughs) That's a bad combination, (laughs) yes. So he was this rare, very valuable, big German Steiff doll that I believe was obtained by this person who who was a servant of the family and modified in various ways to become what we now know as Robert the Doll. So that's a really cool development. And uh, aside from reading my book, which is just an e-book, you should also check out David Sloan's book if you want some of that more recent information. All right. Fantastic. Great update on Robert the Doll. Now, I got to steer you in this direction because this is uh, one of my favorite podcast episodes you've done thus far. And this is on the shape-shifting immortals. And the podcast begins with the question, you know, are they real? And um, you say there are some actually some historical figures who may have been shape-shifting immortals. So what are we talking about when we're talking about immortal? Are we talking about like vampires? Yeah, I think we are. Certainly one form of that. One of the first historical figures, of course, who comes to mind is the Count of St. Germain, who was this um, extremely famous, brilliant, mysterious European who traveled around the courts in the 1700s. He claimed he was 500 years old, so maybe he's been around since then (laughs) or had been around before then. And he was, they say, the most articulate speaker. He could speak multiple languages. He was a a devilishly talented musician and composer. He was a great scientist and chemist and had this encyclopedic knowledge of facts and figures and was so charming that everybody wanted to have him at his or her uh, palace. And uh, the stories go on and on about the fact that this guy was such a prodigy. He claimed that he had descended from some Transylvanian prince. Nobody knows what to really believe about this guy. But he seemed to have a lot of money, and uh, he definitely knew how to work the royal crowd. And he had so much skill and talent and charisma that people were convinced that if anybody could live, figure out how to live for hundreds of years – then it might be him because this is probably what you would you would learn after hundreds of years of life. If you can live for hundreds of years and be healthy, then you can probably learn to do all kinds of great supernatural things. So he may have been one of those people. You can look him up. But when it comes to the topic of shape-shifting in general, it sounds unbelievable at face value. But then you have to think about, okay, 
we are all shapeshifters. Look at how you appeared when you were a baby. Think about how you're going to look in 10 years. We are all shape-shifting every moment. We're just doing it very slowly. So if we know that shape-shifting is real, why should we so quickly discount out of hand the possibility that some types of people or beings might be able to shape-shift a little more quickly? And if we consider that reality is not a fixed thing as we used to envision it, that it is a fluid thing as quantum physicists tell us, then the idea that certain genes can be expressed physically one moment a certain way and then switch momentarily to be expressed another way and then back, it's not so unbelievable. And furthermore, if you look at, say, like what humans do as, uh, as hunters, you know, you see hunters, they dress up like deer sometime and go out in the field and, you know, they'll sit around with a deer suit on and deer urine or whatever to take a picture or take a shot at a deer. If there are other beings here, then we might sometimes interpret them as, as shape-shifting beings because they disguise themselves as humans, like aliens, you know, putting on the human mask. So there are lots of different ways we can sort of rationalize these stories about shapeshifters, but also you have to remember it's always in the eye of the beholder. So you and I both are in a bar or whatever, and we look at a person, and we both comment on how that person may appear, and that person may look different to each of us. And so it also has something to do with the connection between the observer and the observed, but I do believe that, hey... Uh, it's, is, it, is it probable that we have shape-shifting reptilians and vampires and beings like that running around? I wouldn't say it's probable, but I would certainly say it is absolutely possible. Right. Was it Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins who a few years ago came out and said that he believed he had seen a shape-shifter? Someone came up to him. I'm not sure if it was at a nightclub or a concert, and he believes he witnessed this person shape-shifting right before his eyes. Do you remember that? I think he revealed it in an interview. Yeah, I remember something about that. And then also I've gotten plenty of emails from people over the years who have told me similar things. Uh, in fact, I, I believe in that podcast I did about this, I, I read at least one or two emails from people who said they'd had encounters with these shape-shifters. And you know, it does make you think about how egocentric that we are we we tend to view everything else and in terms of ourselves without really thinking too much about the fact that we're not even really the dominant species on this planet insects are and you know there will come a day when all humans are gone i'm sure but the insects will be everywhere and keith richards <laughs> possibly keith richards yeah and uh, you know we're going to be the, like the dinosaurs one day and so Look at what some of these insects can do. I've been studying amoebas at my house. I've studied them for years, but I just put out a press release the other day. I'm not sure if you've seen it about – it's sort of amoeba-based, but before I get into that, if you want to talk about it, you know, the, the thing about an amoeba is an amoeba is just a blob. It's, it's a single-celled organism. It's nothing but a, a thin a little sack of skin, and it doesn't have a brain it doesn't have a nervous system, and yet it hunts for food. 
It is able to move from one type of water to another depending on what it likes and doesn't like. It's clearly uh, intelligent. It's alive and it's intelligent. And we look at it and we say, where is the interface between this thing and life and what we call life? That's something we need to ponder, Joshua, as we head into a break, and we'll pick up on that very point when we come back. Joshua P. Warren, my guest, groundbreaking paranormal researcher and host of Strange Things, an amazing podcast, strangethingsshow.com, to subscribe. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. And we're back with Joshua P. Warren, groundbreaking paranormal researcher, author, host of the podcast Strange Things, strangethingsshow.com to subscribe, part of the Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. We were talking about amoebas of all things, and you've been studying amoebas, and as you noted, they don't have a brain, and yet they hunt. How do they Interface, I believe, was the word you used. So let's let's continue on in that vein. Yeah, and you could easily say an amoeba is a shapeshifter. It's a shape-shifting being. It's a living ball of slime, like so many other creatures that we see in the oceans, for example. And we know that this is a form of life that is known, it's, it's most famous for its shape-shifting ability. And... When you start assembling cells and you create a more and more complex creature, uh, it it makes you wonder what happens when you get enough of these shape-shifting cells uh, together. Uh, I I was talking to uh, a friend of mine. He has a a podcast, Brian Willette, and uh, he was talking about sort of how to deconstruct the human psyche. And he said, you take a ballpoint pen and you start removing you know, the cap and then the spring and then the little button from the top. And at what point is it no longer a ballpoint pen? You know, it's a ballpoint pen when you put it all together into one fixed thing that serves a fixed purpose. And so you could say that you can almost break down life into something as, as simple as this amoeba, which is a, a shape-shifting cell. And then you can wonder how many forms you could take building back up from that into uh, something that may have an almost chameleon-like presence or being. And so there may be forms of life around us that uh, have survived purely because that they are usually in disguise. And I think that if we were surrounded by uh, shape-shifting reptilian types, for example, that would really be the easiest secret in the world to keep because if you tell somebody you've seen it, Uh, They laugh it off. They don't believe it. And uh, it goes back to what I've often said about cows. I I don't think there's one cow on planet Earth that knows people eat cows. (laughs) Let's hope they don't find out. Yeah. And so uh, that's why my mind is so open to the idea that uh, we may not be the dominant life form here. As a matter of fact, we may think uh, much, much more of ourselves – we might actually just be puppets that are being manipulated by, by some other group of beings that are uh, blending in with us in some way. Right, right. And we're 
basically grazing here on the surface of the earth and who knows what lies beneath. Well, they think that the reptilians, right, the reptilians, they've always been here. They're not from outer space. They're here among us or they're living below us and feeding on us. So they may be the alpha species on the planet. John H. asks, uh, Joshua, do you think the Ark of the Covenant was still capable of communicating with some higher power? Yeah, that's a great question, John. I've always been fascinated by the Ark of the Covenant. When you start looking at how it was designed, just based upon what we read in the Bible, it certainly sounds a heck of a lot like a capacitor or a condenser of some sort. It certainly has many of the characteristics that we would apply to that type of more modern circuitry, so to speak. And so, to me, there's a lot of technical detail in the Bible that cannot be ignored about not just the Ark of the Covenant, but even something like Ezekiel's will. You know, Ezekiel the prophet talked about seeing what he described as wheels spinning within wheels, and they could pretty much move in any direction, up, down, left, right, but they were controlled by a spirit within them. And to me, it's, it's a great description of what we're often seeing these days in terms of UFOs. It's almost like these UFOs, in many cases, are not just a, a silver saucer with a little green man inside the steering wheel. We're looking at something that almost seems to have its own cyborg-like sense of artificial intelligence. And so you can go back and look at the Ark of the Covenant and you can say – there's so much specific detail attributed to that design that it would beautifully dovetail with the experiences that people attributed to it in terms of it not only being a communication device, but, but also able to produce an enormous amount of energy, almost like an electrical or electromagnetic discharge. So I believe that uh, it was some kind of a machine it probably is similar to Ezekiel's will. It may have even been able to levitate some on its own. It was an example of a machine that also had a consciousness or a spirit within it. So it almost had its own sense of intelligence. I believe that its effect was so practical that it led the Israelites to victory uh, against great odds over and over again, which is why it was so revered by people like King Solomon. And my feeling is that it still exists, that it very much still exists. It's still somewhere out there, and I would venture to say that the Ark of the Covenant is probably in the United States somewhere. Ah, interesting, interesting. I have a friend of mine, Rabbi Harry Moskov, who's kind of a a Jewish Indiana Jones, and he's looking for the Ark of the Covenant. He thinks it's exactly where it was left, and that was in a chamber beneath what was the first temple, and then later the second temple, of course, built over top of it, but then that temple was destroyed. He says it's right there, but it would be deadly for anyone other than a Levite, I guess, to approach it or to touch it. So whoever goes looking for it better darn well know what they're doing. Anyway, let's take another question from our YouTube chat. Solar Warden asks, Josh, what is your opinion on remote viewing and uh, the late Ingo Swan? Well, you know, I think there's there's a lot to be said for remote viewing. It is a very general term that a lot of people have interpreted 
in uh, in a specific way. I mean, you find lots of different branches out there. Uh, but really, I mean, remote viewing is is about using some kind of a technique in order to transfer your mind to another point in space-time. And there's no reason that that should even be really an extraordinary concept uh, because even if you talk to the smartest cosmologists and astrophysicists out there, they claim that space-time is a flexible thing and that time can flow in either direction What from our point of view seems the future uh, or the past into the future or the future into the past. Uh, it's all based upon your point of view. It's all flexible. So, so therefore, your mind, well, it's an antenna. I call it the wormhole brain. It's constantly funneling information from this other place, the consciousness realm, which is why you know it's such a great mystery for us to even figure out this thing called the mind-body relationship, how those things connect. So you're kind of piped into these other positions in space-time anyway. I think it's just a matter of being able to train your mind to not be distracted by the more immediate concerns in order to take your mind to another place. And, you know, I've never done a lot of extensive in-depth research specifically on Ingo Swan, but I do know uh, many people who have worked a, a great deal with different kinds of remote viewing techniques. And, you know, one that I think is pretty useful here in Las Vegas, if you're into gambling, is one that I initially learned from Colonel Dr. John Alexander, who, uh, of course, is one of the, they call him one of the men who stares at goats. It's called ARV, or Associative Remote Viewing, and I'll give you an example of how this can be used in a Vegas casino. So let's say my wife Lauren and I go into a casino, and we're going to go up to the roulette wheel, and we're going to bet on either red or black. And if you're not a roulette player then let me just tell you that there are two spaces on the wheel that are green. But all the rest are red or black. So if you bet on red or black, you almost have a 50-50 chance of getting it right. So statistically, right up front. So if you bet on red or black and you get it right, you double your money. So you could walk up and put down a $100 bill, and 45 seconds later, you've got $200. It's an easy way to keep your night of fun going in Vegas if you can nail it every time. So what we will do is I will say to Lauren, instead of red or black, because she's good at this and some people are better, I will say, Lauren, cat or dog, sun or moon, Uh, is it a flower or a chandelier? Or a guitar or flute or what? I just like I come up with some kind of random thing, and I'm asking her to make a choice between these two random things. Now I know which thing is associated with which color, but she doesn't. Ha, ah, Joshua, I got to jump in again. Sorry for the interruption. We'll take a quick time out. We'll come right back to the uh, uh, associative remote viewing. I think that's what you called it, ARV, and uh, the casinos. Back with more of my conversation with groundbreaking paranormal researcher Joshua P. Warren. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. 
Welcome back. So, Joshua, you were talking about associative remote viewing. So, you and your lovely bride, you go to the casino and uh, you're playing roulette. And instead of betting red, black, you assign each color a different arbitrary thing. Uh, instead of red, it's a cat. Instead of blue, it's a dog or something like that. Yes, that's exactly right. And in doing so, um, what we are, are accomplishing is we are really tapping into the most fundamental principle behind how that, um, I think, even magical thinking works. We are distracting the critical intellectual, as they say, left side of the brain and allowing the more creative, imaginative right side of the brain to take over. And that's why whenever you're trying to get your mind to sort of expand through through magical thinking manifestation you 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 can often even use these you know crazy words like abracadabra or bibbidi bobbidi boo because this sort of thing is meant to be just enough nonsense in order to sort of again tire out or almost distract that intellectual part of the brain so that the part which is more non-judgmental and reactive and emotional, the more organic part of your relationship to the universe is able to to take over. And that is the moment when you have uh, psychic flashes because we live in a world where we're told that doesn't exist more than we're told it does. And and so, therefore, you, you have to free up that that analytical critical thinking part of the mind and this is just one way of doing it so try that out and 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 it works well either way she can do the same thing with me um and i've I've also done experiments where i found that it works better for two people to do that than for a group of people to do that i'm not sure why that is i'm still trying to figure that out that's another thing about my uh my podcast, Strange Things, it's very interactive. Uh, I, I am always putting experiments out there that the listeners can participate in. And we take surveys and I reward people for participating in certain types of experiments and give them all kinds of free stuff. Um, and like right now, I have some um, some water that's being analyzed at the laboratory here in Las Vegas that we used in a collective consciousness experiment. But anyway, that's a good lesson for anybody listening that uh, if you don't want to go to a casino, okay, we'll try it out with just flipping a coin. You know, sit down with somebody that you think you have connection with and don't tell that person what you have associated with heads or tails and see if they get it right more than 50-50. And you might be surprised at how easy it is to use that as a training tool to tap into something like a remote viewing skill. Interesting. Fascinating stuff. All right. Back to, uh, let's go to the phones, actually. Mitchell is checking in from Burlington. Hello, Mitchell. Welcome. Hi. Um, I heard about the... So there's the ET for the Atari 2600. It got buried in the New Mexico desert. And uh, I'm wondering about that. Like, I've heard that the game itself was like a map of Area 51. I hadn't heard that. Does that sound familiar, Joshua? <laughs> well, you know, Mitchell, I actually, um, I'm, a, I'm a geek. I love playing video games. And I remember watching a magnificent documentary all about 
the infamous E.T. game. I actually had that uh, when, when I was a kid, So, I, and it, it did suck. It was I can see why they consider it the worst video game of all time. But yeah, you know, it was a big deal when they found those, and they, they, they dug them up, and now they're in museums. But I have never heard anything about that game being connected to Area 51. So I think that I would have heard about that. Uh, so... How did you hear about it, Mitchell? Do you recall? I um, I saw it in a movie um, called The Angry Video Game Nerd Movie. Uh-huh. Huh. Well, okay, well, I'll look into that. Thank you for the tip. But, uh, yeah, if, if, if I might have to incorporate that into my Creepy Vegas Ghost and UFO show. So there you, you go. may have... You may have taught me something. Thanks for that call. <laughs> All right, Mitchell. All right. Uh, we'll get to uh, Skip on the line from Connecticut, a regular visitor, and uh, more questions from the YouTube live chat. When we come back, Joshua P. Warren, again, the host of Strange Things, strangethingsshow.com to uh, subscribe, part of the Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show right after this. Keeping an eye on the New World Order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, a few minutes remain with Joshua P. Warren, joshuapwarren.com, and again, the podcast, Strange Things, strangethingsshow.com to uh, subscribe. And uh, let's go to Skip from Connecticut on the line. Hey, Skip. Hey, how you doing? Joshua, I want to ask you about a statement. The present present, the present past, and the present future. Uh, that would be what someone said to me. That's a, what, what do you think of that statement? And also, in all your research, would you say the fact that like mountain ranges are untraversed is a factor? I know the oceans and, and the aquifers are not really that well looked at, but would you also say the mountains? Really, nobody's been there in many cases. Yeah, well, uh, okay, a couple interesting questions. Uh, thank you, Skip. When it comes to you know the present, present, and the present future, and the present past, I think really what it boils down to is the impossible task we have of even defining the present. And what I mean by that is you say, how long is the present? And someone could say, well, the present is one second. Well, all right. But even a second has a beginning and an end. So that means you would have a past and a future within your present. So you can never logically come up with a unit of measurement for how long the present is. And I think that's because the present isn't actually a thing. It's just that we are able to comprehend everything from past to future as a flow, as what we call duration. And that's why, to a certain extent, there are perhaps fixed points, a fate or a destiny. And let's say we have something like an ant, a little insect, and we put that ant on a giant photograph. And the ant is incapable of seeing the entire photograph at once, but it's able to walk across pixel by pixel. And so... The ant goes back and forth like a little scanner, and it scans the whole thing pixel by pixel, and then finally it makes it to the last pixel, and boom, now the whole entire big picture flashes before the ant's eyes, and it dies. 
it may be that humans are doing something like that because you hear about people saying, my life flashed before my eyes and then I died in those cases where people come back. And so I'm not sure that we can literally divide the past from the future with this thing called the present. We simply are saying that the present is any moment within this whole experience that the person is actually perceiving or the organism is perceiving based upon that particular position of consciousness within space-time. Now, as far as exploration goes, to me, it seems pretty clear that most of what we still have to learn is below the ocean. Uh, I think there is still plenty of mountain exploration left to be done, but satellites have helped us tremendously with that as well. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've gone off on some pretty extensive camping trips, and it's not rare for you to feel like that you're in the middle of nowhere and you'll find a beer can somewhere. <laughs> you know, somebody's been here at some point. Um, but the ocean, you know, it's, it's such a physical challenge to get down there. That when I was living in Puerto Rico, and I would see this incredible footage of these craft, UFOs, what they often called USOs, that would disappear into the water. They would be you know, zipping around in the sky and bouncing in and out of the – and then they fly into the water and, and vanish near places like what we call the Puerto Rico Trench, which is almost 30,000 feet deep. It's the wow. deepest point in the Atlantic Ocean. I would think to myself, there's something down there. And I don't know if it's quite at the level of Atlantis, but I do believe that eventually we are going to find out that there, whatever this exotic technology is, this exotic civilization is that's flying around that we keep we keep getting documentation of, you know, uh, with our our cameras on from fighter jets and and, and aircraft carriers. Uh, they have something elaborate under the water that we are going to discover, and right now we just don't have the technology to properly explore it. Right. I, I agree. Instead of looking out there, we need to be looking maybe down there. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I want to work in one more question from the YouTube live chat. Jeannie Braun uh, has a question. What are the most surprising results you've ever achieved using unusual methods or processes? The one that stands out in my mind, Jeannie, is that I, you know, I, was, I was talking about the Brown Mountain Lights, and in 2004, my team and I made the cover of a science journal called Electric Spacecraft, because in the laboratory, we were able to create a plasma chamber and create this glowing ball of energy floating in midair inside this chamber that looked very much like one of the Brown Mountain Lights. Uh, I explain more about how we did that in my latest edition of Strange Things. But as we were standing there looking at this ball of light, which we had, we had created by reproducing a lot of the conditions there that we found on that mountain, we started saying out loud, I wonder if this has some connection to the UFOs and the flying saucers that people report seeing around Brown Mountain. And as soon as we said that, this glowing ball of plasma transformed before our eyes into a saucer floating there in midair. It was as, the, as if this was a conscious, sensitive medium that had literally changed shape just because our topic of discussion changed shape. It was reflecting 
what we were talking about. And we got a picture of that and video footage of that. And let me tell you, that right there symbolizes much of what we've been talking about this whole show and much of what this work is all about in general. It's about the idea that you, your consciousness is not something that's just isolated from the world around you. It's the opposite. We are a part of the world around us in the most intimate way. We are creators. We are interacting with it. And sometimes these strange things that we are seeing are just projections of what's happening inside of, of us, inside our heads, our minds. And by understanding that relationship better, uh, we are going to find that we have much more control over the world than we think. All right. Great question, Jeannie. And uh, as always, a brilliant answer. We just have a couple minutes here. One of the topics we didn't touch on, and this was the subject of, uh, of Strange Things, uh, one of your episodes, was psychokinesis. And uh, you actually offer some tips on moving objects with, with our minds. Yeah, you know, the first thing to realize is that that is not such a far-fetched concept. Going back to the mind-body relationship, the reason that you can move your body by thinking, I want to move my body, has something to do with a telekinetic response. I think I want my arm to move, and it moves. I say, I want my arm to move, and that makes electrical signals flow, and if everything's connected properly, the arm moves. That's almost a form of telekinesis. The question becomes, how far outside the body can that expand? And one of the simple things you can do to practice with this is get yourself a jar and just blow some smoke into it. You don't, Even if you're not a smoker, get a candle, make some smoke somehow, and capture that smoke in that jar. And sit there, you know, you, you should do this outside, of course, and just stare at that smoke in that jar and see if you can start making it shift from the top to the bottom or the bottom to the top. And you'll start to find that you can do this pretty easily. And you might even be able to take it to the point where you can go outside and look up at a cloud and think, I want this cloud to separate and break apart. And you can start breaking that up with your eyes. And as this goes on and on, you can keep advancing until you can float a water pedal on top of a bowl of water and, uh, and make it move. Or you might cut out a little uh, tri or actually a little um, square piece of paper and fold it into a pyramid and balance it on top of a needle point and try to make it spin clockwise or counterclockwise and you gradually keep developing this and you'll be amazed at how you can actually do some tricks that are almost like what you see the jedis do in the star wars movies <laughs> remarkable remarkable uh what's coming up next on strange things the podcast you know what? I think what I'm going to do, I, I've been so busy with this conference I produced and everything else, I'm behind on emails from listeners. And I get the best emails from listeners telling me about crazy stories. And like, for example, I have this guy who emailed me the other day, and he sent me a picture of something that he captured in his his bedroom at night, which it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck when I look at it. And uh, so I think what I'm going to do next is, uh, is sit down and, and, and record one with just I'm catching up on correspondence and, and the reports I've gotten from all over the world. But now I record these things weeks in advance. So the new one that's going to come out, I'm pretty sure, uh, is about werewolves. So uh, And I've got a field, an actual field report 
from a guy who's a friend of mine in Germany where they supposedly killed the last werewolf, and that opens up a Pandora's box of all kinds of crazy stuff. Fantastic. All right. Can't wait. Strange Things, strangethingsshow.com to subscribe, part of the Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Joshua, I don't know where these two hours went. We need six. Uh, so thank you so much. It's always great talking to you, and I, I really enjoyed tonight's conversation. Well, as always, you're a fantastic host, a wonderful show, and uh, hey, it's it's always a lot of fun. So thank you for having me, and we'll talk again soon. All right, Joshua, you be well. JoshuaPWarren.com. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Carlos Cagini for technical production, Ryan White for producing the live stream, and uh, we'll be back next week, Gary Hesseltine and Don Schmidt. Uh, on uh, their new UFO, International UFO Research Organization. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.